0: Of administration and cause at Antis Roofing and Waterproofing. So, hello, Susan. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we had Charles Antis on the show before, uh-huh. and Charles is quite a storyteller. He's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to him recently, and he spoke so highly of you. I had to have you on the show. So, welcome.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Charles. He's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's quite the cheerleader for people that inspire him and we inspire each other. So every day, it's my pleasure to work
0: with him. Wonderful. So I was doing some research. And one of the things that stood out when I was researching your background was you worked for Disney, and mm-hmm. you're an ambassador. Can you tell us about that?
1: Gosh, that was so long ago, right? And I was an ambassador finalist. I think the important part to the story was I didn't get picked, but back in the day, and this is in the early 80s and even prior to that, because the whole program is different today, but back then it was more like a Miss Disneyland contest, right? It was women, young women. Mm -hmm. They would interview hundreds of them it was a very coveted role and narrowed the finalists down to a final four. And I was a final four twice. And then they took these young women back to Florida and then took the Florida girls over to California. And we had two weeks of intensive training. The role would have been a lot of talk shows, greeting dignitaries, bringing them through the park. And so two By that level, at the final four, anyone is going to do a good job, right? It's been kind of grueling to get to that point. Lots of interviews. And uh, so someone else was chosen. But because of that experience, everything leads you somewhere. Because of that experience, I met an ambassador from 1971. And that woman worked for a small startup company in Mission Viejo, and I was about ready to graduate from college, and I ended up to go to work for that company and stayed there almost 30 years. So, and it was a, in a career field called Community Association Property Management. And in fact, that's the tie to Antis because that's who we sell to, our homeowners association. So that's how I first met Charles, was in that business years ago.
0: Wow. So you you helped grow out that organization.
1: Yes. During those years, when I started, we were very young. The owner was very young, about 18 employees. And when I left about 10, 11 years ago, we had over 600 employees. She had sold the company. It was a $55 million company and then sold it to a national partner that was terrific to work with. And I hit my fifties and just thought, you know what, I'm going to try something different. This has been a long road in one industry. And so I did.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, before we move on to what you're more currently doing, I mean, what did you learn? I mean, to, to, To be involved in the organization where there's a handful of people to 600 and seeing that all the way through, what sort of things did you learn along the way?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, it's the classic hard work, right place, right time, where preparation meets opportunity. If you are that person, an organization of that size offers lots of possibilities. And I stuck with it. It wasn't an easy industry to be in. Great company, harder industry, heavily focused on customer service, And so that's one lesson. The other was I worked for a woman at that time and all those years. And the industry in those early days was heavily weighted with lots of females. And we had we were young and just young enough to be fearless. Right. (laughs) About whatever we were doing. And she was very bright, great business sense took advantage of the growth and development in the housing industry that was going on in the 80s and 90s. And so we scaled that business. That was the other big lesson was scale. You are 18 employees and then you're 40 and then you're 80. And that's how we built it across the state. And it's not as daunting if you look at it that way, right? So in the end, well, not the end, but maybe the last 15 years of my career there, I had many, many employees reporting up to me because my key role was on the operation side, developing our employees to grow that business in various markets. And I loved it. And it was a lot of fun.
0: Wonderful. So <laughs> how did you lead to where you are today? What, what were some of the steps?
1: Well, When I decided to change the career, I really made that as a hard decision. And I went to work initially, partnered with a friend of mine who had long been um, self-employed. And we formed a business called Career Connections. And I learned something new to do career development work with young adults and college coaching. And I did that for a few years. I found that I wasn't in love with being in business for myself, So good lesson. And at the time, I had met a number of nonprofits. I'd been a volunteer and done a number of things, particularly with United Way. But I was meeting more through that that particular role. And I went to work for one in Irvine called Families Forward. They work with family homelessness. I went in on the development side, fundraising, and it was a great organization. Very good work, solid reputation, had been around for 30 years. And I did that for a few years, and Charles came knocking. He and another person he had on the team at that time, he had started this foundation. He was already heavily involved with a number of nonprofits, including Habitat for Humanity, where he'd been for 10 years. And he wanted someone to really put structure to all of his giving, all of his volunteering, employee engagement really looking at corporate social responsibility for the whole organization. And I just could not say no to that. And it was an easy yes. And now I'm not involved with just one nonprofit. We are both involved, as well as a number of our employees, with many. And and it's not just giving, giving money. We spend an unusually high amount of hours for a company our size volunteering from board in committee service to just boots on the ground handing out food at these California love drops that Charles has been doing a couple times a week for over a year. Yeah. So that's how it how it started.
0: Wonderful. What do you, <laughs> yeah. what do you say for the companies that say, "Look, it seems to work for you. You're a more established company, but we're struggling to get by and how do we think about this? We can't do it." Like what do you tell those companies?
1: We'll start small, even when Charles, Charles, who's very invested, and as an owner, that's important because he is a sole proprietor, so we don't have a board to go through, but we're speaking to and trying to inspire companies like ours, right, in anywhere, but let's just start with Orange County. When we first met, it wasn't a full-time job. I have all kinds of other responsibilities. I oversee HR, the marketing team reports up to me, all of internal operations. And so you don't need a full-time employee to help you get started. Pick one or maybe two organizations. Set a budgetary goal. Charles is very generous. It's how he sees his life purpose. So he invests heavily into this, not just in terms of the cash that he puts into his donor advice fund instead of buying a boat, right, or a second home in Mammoth. This is how he chooses to live his life. But he also puts employee labor. So when there's a roof to be done, we're paying for those employees. When we got in line and delivered food with Second Harvest, we were paying our employees and they were using our vehicles. And anyone can do that. Just carve out some time and allocate your employees to the work. Let's say you're an electrician. Red Cross, their sound of the alarm campaign. They need people who know how to use tools get a guy or two or a woman or two out there and be part of the team that goes door to door and helps with that on a Saturday. There's some really easy win items and people, your employees love it. Even if they're a little hesitant and reluctant at first, once they do it, it becomes very meaningful to them. They see the difference that they make.
0: Mm. <laughs> now, you mentioned leading by example and all those things, but in terms of other ways to engage the team in the community? What are some sort of more tactical level things that you do inside your company or or just outside?
1: Well, pre-pandemic, this was easier, right? So pre-pandemic, we have done Meals of Love at Ronald McDonald houses. By the way, here's another tip for these companies. We invite our clients, And instead of inviting them to another cocktail event, which of course people love that too, want to give up on that, but this is a whole new opportunity. So we've done Habitat Builds and we fund that. We fund the cost for the food at the Ronald McDonald House Meals of Love. We took some unused space we weren't using. We would like to have sublet it. It didn't happen. And so we've been doing red class blood drives All year long, uh, we've done over 35 in that empty space, and it's really generated a lot of enthusiasm for that organization. There was even coverage on Channel 5 for them. What we're trying to do is highlight the nonprofit, bring our people in, bring our clients in, kind of lift the awareness of the organization, have fun, and support them at the same time. And these are not big cost items. Anyone can do a canned food drive, Homemade right now has their diaper drive going on and that particular drive for Homemade Orange County supplies almost all of the diapers for all the nonprofits that need them for the year. And a big organization behind them is the Builders Industry Association, Builders for Babies. They've been doing it for years and years and years. That's how I first got involved because remember that's who we used to sell to when I worked in that community association management industry. We were active with BIA at the time. So it's all a circle, it's a small community. There's lots of need and just really easy ways to get people involved.
0: (laughs) Wonderful, well, and you said that you have other responsibilities as well. How do you juggle those two? How does your day look? How do you fit those both together?
1: Well, when I came into the organization, The first thing I did because I was hired specifically to take a look at corporate social responsibility. So we created some structure, like, and just some guidelines. Charles wants to kind of keep it loose, but not too loose because you can't give to everybody. You'd love to, but you really can't. And there is the concept of impact. Those bigger gifts really make a difference to an organization where. Nonprofits appreciate hundred dollars here and two hundred dollars here there, but they they need to operate bigger gifts. So we honed in on who those organizations would be and why. And we have Charles and I have a passion for social justice issues, dealing with the underserved. We are very active with United Way. And so we looked at those pillars and are focused on housing in particular. So that's the homelessness issue or affordable housing and a couple of other things, disaster relief, things that might draw attention back to the bulk of our employee population. We're a roofing company. About 75% of our employees are Hispanic and live here in the Orange County area. So we try to keep an eye out for that, nonprofits that might offer services that would be important to them and their community. A good example of that might be the Boys and Girls Club. We donate to to them. We just recently started to partner more actively with the Orange County Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. They have a scholarship foundation that gives broadly to the community and We feel passionate about that. And it's also a place we could send our employees who have college-bound children, or if they themselves are college-bound, to go and apply for scholarships, another organization that we fund that might be helpful to them. So that's how we looked at it, put a lot of structure together, started to create a budget. Charles doesn't love budgets, but we had to have one (laughs) because we don't have an endless supply of money. (laughs) and we started to track it. Here's something we don't do. We don't do grant applications. Bigger organizations like to do that. They also wanna track and measure. It's intentional on our part. We vet the organization, we look at what their results are on Charity Navigator, and then we just give our donation unrestricted. And I look for their annual reports. On the nonprofit side, Sometimes the amount of labor you spend on qualifying the results of the services that you provided as a result of that grant almost exceeds the grant you actually got. If you get $5,000 and you spend $5,000 in labor defending it, so we don't want to do that. And that was a benefit of me working inside a nonprofit to see that kind of point of view. Not that we won't ever, we're just not doing it now. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Interesting. Do you look at the organization's kind of allocation of sort of administrative levels and operating, how much actually goes into the actual activity?
1: Yes. it's That is important to us. Very, It's important to me that those ratios are maintained. It's also important to us that events like galas, that sort of thing, that those actually measure out with The minimum requirement, I think, is 70 to 75%, but we're looking for 90%. We don't need to go to another ball. And you know what? Actually, the pandemic helped with that. You see the nonprofits, it's still a struggle to raise funds and create awareness. That's what events do for you. But do we really need a black tie event? Or would something a lot more simple that puts more dollars into the organization be just what your your donors want just enough for them
0: and mm. as someone
1: who attends a lot of events that is all I want is just some a time to get together celebrate the results of the organization but I don't have to be entertained and dance the night away I can do that on my own time that's yeah. my opinion
0: you brought <laughs> as <yeah>. a donor <laughs> yeah yeah you, you bring up a very strong point now with yeah. The impact that you're trying to go after, I mean, did you and Charles have kind of a similar views on where to go with the associations that you're talking about? Or did that just kind of organically happen over the, the number of years where you just had discussions and evaluated that? Just wanted to understand that.
1: Yeah, we, we met and already were very similarly focused on, not exactly... But pretty similarly focused on where we personally already gave, organizations we were already involved with. I made the introduction to United Way. I'd been a member of that organization for like 20 years. He's now on the board. That was a fit because of the homeless arm in particular. And education was another passion. We do three summer mentorships with three different nonprofits every year here. And uh, I had already been doing that in my other jobs, in particular with Girls, Inc. So that was a new introduction here, but aligned with how he, he felt. And we made some rules for ourselves, just, again, loose rules, that when we gave to education, it would be for nonprofit organizations specifically, not necessarily university giving or alumni giving. Again, and that kept it universal to the whole organization as opposed to just a personal interest of my former college so little things like that were the things we discussed and aligned on after I got here but it was an easy alignment we want to do things that help people
0: interesting and then how much sort of influence or feedback do you take from employees or clients on future giving and and direction there
1: So if our employees have a nonprofit that they're passionate about, we will support them. We have a donor matching program up to $1,000 a year. If they want to serve on a board and are invited to serve on a board, we will support them with that board level giving. And so we've done that. We offer 16 hours of paid volunteer time that they can use for anything, doesn't matter what it is. So our employees from time to time will actually have something, a mission that's important to them, a current issue. On a regular, ongoing, every week basis, we are giving out, you probably heard Charles talk about this, these giving cards. Now they are in denominations of $10 to $50, but we give them to for employee recognition. We give them to our clients. That is a way, and we spend about, at least $20,000 a year on this. This is a way for employees and other people to give to a nonprofit of their choice easily, right? Like a credit card. They just go online and designate the funds to the nonprofit that they pick. And by the way, in those, what we do find is we have an unusually high percentage, maybe over 40% of the donors for that particular program donating to pet organizations. So even though that's not a core impact area of ANTIS, we do still do a lot around that with pets. We do donate to some pet organizations. We have a bring your pet to work policy. We have a policy in our handbook to allow employees to take three days if they need it, like a bereavement policy to deal with the death of a pet or the adoption of a pet or a health issue. So that was an outcome of recognizing how important animals were to our employee population.
0: Mm, interesting. Me
1: included. I have three dogs myself.
0: Oh, wonderful!
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. So th- this leads me to the question: You have so many giving initiatives going. Is there some communication or document that sort of that circulates around? the impact that you're making in various areas or how do you sort of communicate that within the uh, your stakeholders your employees
1: well it's like any so we use this as a marketing initiative right you've got your internal marketing to create the awareness of your employees you have your external marketing for your clientele so we do it in a variety of ways it's pervasive and almost daily Social media, of course, is one avenue, Facebook and LinkedIn. We have a strong presence on our website. We have an employee intranet where we post information. We participate in Orange County United Way's Philanthropy Cloud Program. For businesses that aren't familiar with that, you should check it out. It's a very inexpensive, easy entry into nonprofit discovery for your employees because it's a national program where every nonprofit is in it. So you can do research on it as an individual, meaning they don't have to just follow what ANTUS does. They can go their own way. And we do newsletters, of course, electronic newsletters. And we talk about it twice a month in our team huddles. And we invite people all the time. You Would you like to do this? Do you want to do that? Sometimes they're scheduled. Like when it's time to re-roof a Habitat home, it's on the schedule for our roofing team, obviously.
0: Mm, But the
1: guys that are picked, it's a job, but it feels like more than that. It's actually kind of a privilege to be on the team that
0: gets to do that work. Wonderful. Yeah, Yeah. so you said team huddles. So those are, I'm assuming those are all hands, team huddles?
1: They are. They're on Zoom now. Back in the day, we could meet in the warehouse or the our creative space. So hopefully we'll get back there in a year or so Yeah, do that again.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, you lay so many different aspects of it. It's wonderful. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about this topic that someone has regularly asked you about?
1: We haven't spent a lot of time on the money part. I think that when a business is starting, what first is in their head is, well, what is this going to cost me? So let's set aside time and labor. By the way, find a champion. There's going to be someone that obviously has the enthusiasm for it. That's the person you want. They may or may not be a lead in the organization, but they have to have some influence. It can be, oftentimes it flows through HR. In our case, we started with marketing and HR kind of came later, but I have both components under my role now. And you can set a modest budget. Let's just say you had $10,000 you wanted to allocate year one, and that would be enough to get started. What's really important in the beginning, especially, is that you get your employees at least once during the year together to talk about and do something that gives back to the community. And you you might create a little focus group and let them decide what that might look like. Ideally, it's something that might have some sort of connection to your business, right? If you're a landscape company, it would be easy to go over to a public preschool or a boys and girls club with permission, of course, this is all organized and redo the landscaping in their kids' taught lot, right? There's so many little, there's so many ways to align your work with your giving. And that's important when you're trying to create marketing awareness, right? That ties back to your company. So I would just say, don't let the money discourage you thinking, well, I have to have $100,000 to spend. No, you don't. It's the bite of an elephant. Just start small and move forward and it will take on its own life (laughs) and be very enriching for everyone.
0: Wonderful. This is uh, great information. What is the next Couple of years look like for you? What, what does the future look like for you?
1: Well, we are going to stay with these blood drives. They become very popular. The California Love Drop that Wing Lam initiated with some other colleagues of his from KLOS and Charles got involved early on, that's going to keep going. That's where they're dropping food to frontline workers that are dealing with the pandemic, a lot of hospital visits, fire stations, rehab. So we'll keep up with that. We are still donating to Habitat. We look forward to getting back to Ronald McDonald House. That's actually a national initiative for the roofing industry across the country that Charles brought forward a few years ago because he was already doing it here in California. So we look forward to that and I personally like to see even more time dedicated to the youth, and this is in part the scholarship that I spoke of, but also just offering them part-time jobs, summer internships, things that are in-person, hands-on. When the kids are here, we, of course, are one of those fun companies, right? We give them a lot of swag. They get, you know, they get the that we take them to lunch, we bring pizza in. I mean, but it gives them a view of work and is very inspiring. One of the young men that came to us from Garden Grove High School District, very shy, very introverted. And at the end of his internship, we went to a, a program and he got up on stage and actually spoke and charles you know everybody made an impression but of course charles makes a huge impression right and he spoke of that and it really brought him out of his shell in a way it was amazing to see so i'd love to see more of that
0: wonderful thank you so much susan thank you for sharing all that you do and all the impacts that you make give my regards to charles but thank you for coming on the show
1: Thank you, cats. All right,
0: bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. Make sure you check out YouTube.com forward slash Cats Talks for video of today's podcast hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes entrepreneurial tips and more see you over there